Welcome to the One Badass Working Mother podcast. I'm Katherine Ferguson, and in this podcast, we explore the relationship between motherhood, work, and everything in between. In today's episode, I'm speaking with my friend and former coach, Annie Nog. Annie is a career coach who works with clients all around the globe. I worked with her three years ago as I was preparing for my own career change and asking myself what I wanted my own future as a working mom to look like. Annie describes her own career transition into coaching from the nonprofit world when she had her daughters and the benefit of taking your time when so often our tendency is to rush. We talk a lot about values and how a lot of working moms can arrive at a point in their lives where they're really unclear about what they want. So taking the time to really identify what's important to you can be a very grounding exercise and the lens through which you can make decisions about your life and career. We address the guilt that many people have felt in 2020 in recognizing their own privilege, but how instead of letting guilt stop you from taking action, addressing it head on can be a catalyst to spur you into greater awareness and action, not just in your own life, but in your community and the world at large. You'll get a glimpse into some of the things that Annie and I worked on together, including the importance of creating a future vision for yourself and meeting those mean voices in your brain head on. For anyone feeling stuck career-wise or overwhelmed with the state of the world, you'll get a lot of value from this conversation. So without further ado, here is Annie. I am here with my friend and former coach, Annie Nog. And I am so thrilled to have her here today um, to tell us a little bit about her career journey and how she ended up being the absolutely amazing, badass career and life coach that she is today, who works with people from all over the globe. So Annie, thank you for being here with me and chatting today. So how Thanks about you? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about being a life coach. Sure. Um, so I'm Annie. I live in uh, the Bay Area. I'm originally from the Midwest and I made my way out here I think about 15 years ago. Thought it would be for a year or two and then I ended up meeting my life partner, my now husband, and we've got two little girls who are now four and seven. And a little bit about being a life coach, oh my gosh, it's a uh, it's the dream. I like pinch myself that this is a job. It's, um, <laughs> I think my husband said it best when I was first practicing, I was in the certification process and I'd get off the calls with the people that I was talking to as part of the certification and I'd be on cloud nine. He's like, well, no wonder you love it. You're having very deep conversations with perfect strangers. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I've always loved. And it's a job. So I'm pumped about that. But you weren't always a career and life coach. Well, was your career, what was your job before you found coaching and how did you transition into it? So when I first graduated college, I, I also really loved this job actually. I, was a, I taught English as a foreign language in Costa Rica at a college and loved that. I think part of the reason I loved it was because again, I was kind of hearing people's preferences and stories. We weren't talking about a specific topic, we were talking about them and their lives and practicing English at the same time. And then I got into nonprofit when I moved to the Bay Area and I worked for um, an educational nonprofit and eventually for a workforce development nonprofit. And I really honestly loved that too. I think the reason why I ended up shifting out of that was because 
it seems like the further up the ladder you got in nonprofit, the further away you were from clients. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my skill set and my interests were not around budgets and managing teams of people. Uh, it was much more so around working directly with the client or working directly on programs. And so I hit a point where I just wasn't feeling as challenged. I had been there for a long, I think I was there for about eight years and simultaneously became a mom. So I think all those things happening at once really motivated me to pursue this thing that had been on the back of my mind for years. I had worked many years before with a life coach. A friend had recommended it. I didn't know what it was. I think I had three conversations with her. And ever since that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to put that kind of in my back pocket as like a potential future career. Yeah. That's so awesome because I love how it was kind of like an idea in the back of your mind that kind of popped up at that moment in your life when you felt like you needed something different. So if you can like take us back to that point. So you said you had just had your daughter or were pregnant with your daughter. So what about seven years ago? Yeah. And you're, and you're thinking of making that transition. Can you remember what it felt like to actually like start having those real conversations with yourself or your husband about what it meant for you guys, for you to leave your job and pursue something different. Yeah. It took years of convincing him that it was a good idea. <laughs> okay. He's like, so you're trying to tell me that we're having two extra mouths to feed in San Francisco <laughs> and you want to leave your full-time job with benefits, which I think is a completely valid concern. Um, and it would have been a leap, right? It's not like you jump into entrepreneurship and start making the money you were making before. I, I didn't leap. I ended up slowly transitioning into it. So when I had my first daughter, I was so incredibly lucky to have a boss who was a mom of a then 18-year-old boy. And when I was pregnant with my first daughter, she said, let me know if you ever want to talk schedule. And my head went, huh? Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And she said, trust me, your priorities are about to change in a major way. And she said, you've been here a long time. We value you. And so I ended up, from the time she was born, I was working, I think, 60% and then 80%, but I was actually only going in three days a week. Oh, so wow. I had the dream in terms of schedule, and I wanted it all. I wasn't feeling that challenged anymore. I wasn't uh, making the income I wanted to make. And so I ended up going to get this training at the same time and then just slowly moved into it. And I got my certification right before I gave birth to my second daughter. Oh, wow. And so after that maternity leave, I had fully planned to return to work and then didn't. That's when I made the leap. Mm. I think it's an important reminder that making a change doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah. And I think it's completely understandable, especially if you're in a situation where you're not feeling challenged or stimulated or like you feel desperate to get out that you just want to like rip off the bandaid and make it happen. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that there is a case to be made for that slow and steady approach or the knowing that it's still going to happen all in due time. But if it doesn't happen right this second, that's also okay. So Absolutely. I don't, yeah. And I think it just takes the pressure off, mm -hmm. right? If I, I waited to get certified, I had income coming in that whole time. I'd already had the experience working with clients. And then I made that, it didn't feel so much, it did still feel like a leap, but it felt like there was a trampoline underneath or something. Oh, right. <laughs> One of the right. big ones. 
Right, 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 right. Well, it, it also goes back to the idea that you helped me with too, a couple of years ago when we worked together, it's just, you're not climbing the mountain all in one go. Like you're just taking it one step at a time, like one little baby step, one foot in front of the others. So you start taking clients, you've got one baby and one toddler and you're, you're doing it right. So you're starting to build your business. So what was that like building your own business and raising your babies at the same time? It was really interesting. So one of them was in preschool three days a week. And so that was helpful. And then I had this baby and I was thinking, how in the world? I had done it once. So I knew that it wasn't going to be possible to really work and have her home. Mm -hmm. And so I hired a babysitter who was wonderful, who was with her. I think it was 10 hours a week. It was small, but at least I had 10 hours that I could put into this. The challenging part was if someone was sick or if someone had to go to the doctor, it almost always fell on me as it should have because I didn't actually have any client calls. Mm -hmm. I had very little actually going on. I was just building a business. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think when it transitioned. I think it took me a good year and a half to two years to, felt like, to feel like I was legitimately running a business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that had some real movement to it. And how did you approach that time? Because, you know, one of the things that I have had to work on for myself, and I think a lot of women who are looking to make that change is the desire for, like, as we were just talking about, is a desire for it to happen faster, mm -hmm. like a desire to already be there. But with your experience, why... Like, how can we look at that another way? And like you said, like it took you a couple of years to kind of build it up to the place that you maybe had had in your mind when you started. What's the value of actually going slow? I think one thing I had in mind at the time was, especially because it was the time of my second one and I knew it would likely be my last baby. I think I was really, as much as I could, cherishing that. And I was feeling extremely grateful that I was able to be with her as much as I was. Most people I know, especially in this area, you either don't work or you work 60 hours a week. It's one of, it's, it's not kind of that sweet spot in between. So I, the entire time felt incredibly grateful to be one of those people in that both and situation. It's true. And I, you know, I'm curious with you having had your experience as a mom, but also now professionally as someone who works with moms or, you know, or anybody, not just moms, but I'm, I'm sure you have worked with moms that yeah. come to you who might be one or the other. And, and I remember being in this spot myself is you are either working full time and maybe wanting to make a change or you're at home and you want to make a change, but like you're trying to find that balance, right? And balance is different for everybody. What would you say to someone who feels like they're stuck at either end of the spectrum and they're trying to figure out like how to have that happy medium? And I realize there's not like a silver bullet answer here, but I'm curious how, what's some advice that you might give to someone who's in that situation? I'm going to get a little bit weird for a minute and quote this person who I listen to who's pretty out there, named Abraham Hicks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so into that. I listen to that on my walks. It shifts my whole mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's the law of attraction for anyone listening, right? Who yeah. might not be familiar with the name yeah. of Hicks, law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And she talks a lot about focusing not on what is, but on what is ahead for you. 
So I think when we focus so much on what is and we feel like up to our earlobes in what is, it's extremely hard to kind of dig your way out of that. So she talks a lot about like, what do I dream of? What do I desire? And how do I move towards that? And I think when the focus is on that kind of future light, as opposed to what is, it, it really opens things up in a big way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think just kind of even working with a coach, I, I, the whole, I think it's so funny how coaches always have coaches. But I remember when I was just starting, I definitely had a coach. I still work with coaches on and off. And she really helped me, I think, envision where this was all leading. And then I got to really focus on that and move towards that. It's like we spend so much time and energy and money tending to other parts of our lives. Even like for ourselves, we spend a ton of money at the gym or when we could go to the gym, we would spend a ton of money at the gym. We spend a ton of thought and energy thinking about what we're going to eat. Like we tend to our bodies so much, but we really, I don't believe it's as common of a practice for people to really take care of their minds. And that's what coaching does. And I think it's, the tide is slowly shifting and I think coaching is becoming more of a, of a I guess I'll call it a modality or, or resource that people can see the benefit of. I was just thinking of it this morning. It's like all through school, if you're on an athletic team or like even just classroom, like you have teachers, you have coaches, and then you graduate and you like go into the real world. And it's like, as if you're done learning, you know, it's like, there's no longer that like set of, um, there's no longer that structure that provides you with that learning anymore. So it's really up to you to take the reins to say like, no, like I want to keep getting better. And that's, that's my perspective in terms of like why I love having coaches because it does do feel like it keeps me like moving forward and getting smarter and stronger and all of the things. But back to your saying about the future focused thing, you taught me this when we worked together is the idea of your 80 year old self. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was, is like still something that I think of all the time. And so like that concept I use a lot with my clients of like, if you think of yourself in the future, like how would she solve this problem? Right. And it just like, it takes you out of like being so focused on the problem and like helps you be more resourceful. Yeah. Just provides that kind of helicopter view, the perspective. Yes. That I think sometimes can lack in our day to day. Yeah. I was just thinking about what you were saying about the model kind of the role models and the teachers. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we get these societal messages about like, you need to make a lot of money and you need to have a job that's quote unquote impressive on paper. And it could be, I know it's the case with a lot of my clients that those are the messages we get. And yet you get in there and it might feel very unaligned to your values. And so of course it's hard to find teachers and mentors in that space because that space isn't actually who you are at your best. That's so true. I never thought of it that way, but it's like, you're not looking, you don't want a mentor at the job that you hate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why would you? Doesn't make sense. So, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Like for people who are knowing that they want to change, but like they're in this job that they hate maybe. And they're like, I don't even know what my values are. And I think especially people who like maybe are feeling overwhelmed in the job they have or it's like they have these kids and they're looking around and it's how do I like I don't even know what it is that's important to me anymore how did you figure that out for yourself it sounds like you kind of already had an inkling of of what you liked but for people that are kind of feeling lost what is a way that they can figure out what those values are how do they answer that question it's a big question I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna plug coaching again and here's why 
I've had so many people who have come my way who are big into kind of the self-development books and they've done all the assessments and they come and they still don't feel clear on it because I think the assessments are perfectly fun. However, I think that they kind of aim to put people in boxes when we don't actually belong in boxes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think when a coach is there, uh, or it could maybe even be a friend who doesn't necessarily have a strong opinion about where you're headed. I think it's easier with a coach because they definitely don't care about where you're headed. They just want what you want. Right. Um, but they can take you through the process of really helping you hone in on those. I know when I do it with clients, I don't just say, hey, what do you care about? I get them storytelling and then I start to kind of pull and glean from what they're saying potential value. So it's all very tailored to them. And then once people have their core values, it's such a huge tool because I think it's, it's lenses through which to look when you're making big and small decisions. People often talk about that analysis paralysis and that spinning. And I think the values just bring you right down to the ground and say, okay, based on what I care about, I'm choosing X. Mm-hmm. And it's six months from now, if it's not working, I'll reevaluate. Yeah. Yes. But they have this really rock solid tool that they're using to help them make those big or small decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all coming from them. You know, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like now that you've been doing this work for about seven years and you work with a lot of people who are looking to change careers, you know, or, or make a change to their job or start a business or whatever it is. Let me see if I can ask this question in a way that's like, it's not like so wild and out there, but you know, I think I've been thinking a lot of women's relationship to work, right. Mm -hmm. And work, I think very often can be a four letter word, like Mm -hmm. the way that we talk about it. And I think especially as, as working mothers is, I want to like shift that conversation conversation to show how it doesn't have to be this thing that like takes you away, but that it's something that can give to you. Like it can actually enrich your life and it, it doesn't have to be just for other people who got lucky, but that it's, it's worth actually taking the time to like figure out how to have a better relationship with your work or how to find the work that you want to do because it mm-hmm. actually impacts everything in the rest of your life. So I'm curious through your work with all of the many clients that you've worked with, what is your perception of what it means to do work you love, especially through your view as a mom? Oh my gosh. I don't know why that question just like lit me up. (laughs) I I think it's so connected to purpose. Mm -hmm. I think it's so connected to like, okay, if we're going to get a little bit morbid here, why are we here and what do we want these lives to have been about? We spend anywhere between, you know, 20 to 80 hours a week working. That's a lot of hours of our life. And so if it can be connected to values and connected to a purpose, or maybe, you know, I've had it with clients be that sometimes we do this work and they realize, you know what, actually I do want my job to be this kind of stable thing with income and I can just be really grateful for that. And it, it's aligned enough and I'm going to build up my life outside of work to really align with my values. So sometimes it's not just the job. It's kind of like the whole picture and how does the whole picture align with the values? Mm -hmm. People do feel very strongly that, you know what, I do need to make X amount of money and this company and their mission is not 
unaligned, it might not feel, it might not feel like it's my purpose, but it feels good enough. And I'm, I had one client who ended up going back to doing ice hockey of all things, two, three times a week, and it changed her entire worldview. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that. But it's true. It's, it, and because it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be starting the business, right? Or changing the job. It can be. But I think it comes down to that idea of choice, mm-hmm. that you're choosing to do yes. it. Yeah. And you feel good about those reasons why you're choosing it as opposed to feeling like this is my only option and I have to suffer through it or Absolutely. I don't know what I want to do instead. So I'm just going to stay with the status quo. Yeah. It's stepping into the power of choice. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Being proactive as opposed to reactive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I've just been using that a lot with the client recently is especially in 2020 when there is so much out of our control like how can we be proactive with what we can control and what what we do know shifting gears a little bit so with where your business is now and working with people like and and helping them with their careers and their lives like what feels important to you right now like as a business owner and just as a mom in 2020 so i think what feels important to me now in this in 2020 in this world we're living in I'm very struck by how so much of the work I've done with clients is on themselves. You know, it's on their careers, it's on their lives. And I've always been really intrigued by the ripple effect of that. Like when people do that work, how do they show up to the world again? And how do they contribute to the world? I, the volume on that is just turning way up for me, the world piece. I, I think my next project might be to start interviewing some people who are advocates. Because I think a lot of people in this world right now feel like they want to act, but feel paralyzed and aren't sure how. So I'm really intrigued to talk to people who are applying their values lens to the world at large and saying, okay, I care about compassion. I care about love. How am I going to bring that and build that into the world so I can create a better, do my part to create a better world for my kids? That is feeling so incredibly resonant for me right now. And I just kind of feel it. I feel it kind of not just in me, but like in the collective very strongly. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think that like collectively we are having this awakening where we are realizing just how much we're all connected we very often, I think, and like you can take this metaphor probably in a lot of different ways, but it's like, just like our work doesn't exist in a bubble, we don't exist in a bubble as much as we tend to think that we do, like just going through our day-to-day lives. But it's like, what can we, like, what have we been ignoring? Um, and I know that's like been a big, I think, question for a lot of people this year with just the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, like, and especially as like a white woman myself, I've been asking myself those questions a lot and it can feel very paralyzing to butt up against something that you haven't really, like really proactively taken the time to examine before and say, okay, I, I, maybe I haven't been there before, but I'm here now. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious because I've, I've noticed you become like a much more visible and outspoken activist yourself, especially in San Francisco too, right? Where there are a lot of people maybe who are having these conversations. So 
and you were just talking about interviewing advocates, but how is, is that coming into part of your work too? Yeah, I sometimes get, I'm pursuing what's interesting me. And at the same time, I'm remaining curious about how and if that's going to come into my work. I mean, I do think that a lot of clients, it's not like we start conversations now being like, how are you? I mean, we almost always spend the first few minutes talking about the state of the world. And sometimes now the topics are things, especially for my clients who are white, the, topic, the topics are things like, uh, what is my place in this? And what can I do? And how do I deal with this immense guilt that I'm feeling about kind of unintentionally being a part of the problem? So yeah, I don't think those conversations were happening nearly as much before this year. Mm-mm. And then outside of work, I've decided to start, I started this kind of anti-racist learning group where there's an advocacy component. And this is just kind of like volunteer on the side, Mm -hmm. but it's, I knew that I wanted to do a lot of that learning and unlearning myself. And I knew that I wanted to not do it alone. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think eight subgroups or nine subgroups that are all meeting once a week. And we're starting with white fragility. And every week in our calls, we also address the question of, okay, and what is everyone doing? And it could be something as small as signing three petitions in the week, or it could be like, you know what, I called my representatives about X, or I called the police, local police department about Y. And I often ask myself, how is this connected back to coaching? And it really comes back to the values and the values alignment. We can do it for ourselves, which is great, and we can do it for our communities and the world it kind of it can apply on so many different scales yeah absolutely and also the guilt part you said about before is especially through coaching is being able to figure out what to do with that mm-hmm. like and like where guilt or like any negative emotion whether it's guilt or shame can so often be stuff that just stops us in our tracks and like keeps us stuck as opposed to saying like okay like i i, I can recognize that i'm feeling guilt but I don't want to let that stop me from the doing or the learning or the unlearning. So like, how do you channel that or how do you transform it? Okay. So I'm curious. So if, if you are speaking to maybe it's yourself seven years ago or me three years ago, or um, a client who's coming to you now, who is kind of dealing with like the guilt or the shame or the confusion and the spinning looking at these people that kind of feel stuck and overwhelmed and they want to do something, they want to make a difference. They want to not hate their work. Like they want to have a better work-life balance with their kids, whatever that might look like for them, but they kind of just don't know where to start. What's one piece of advice that you might give them? I think separate from the values and the creating a vision and the really asking yourself those questions about what's important to me and how do I apply that? I think the other piece would be all of the building self-awareness work. I think so often we have to, it's not pleasant work, but we have to find our quote unquote saboteurs Mm -hmm. and find those self-sabotaging voices that are holding us back and saying things that our worst enemies wouldn't even say to us, like you're worthless, you're not lovable. Mm -hmm. Whatever those messages are, you're lazy. And really finding those and addressing them. And what we do in the work, it's really fun. I think you learned that. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm remembering them right now as you're saying it. (laughs) Is we actually make them 
three-dimensional and we know what they look like and we know what they wear and we know how they stand and we know their facial expressions. And so we can notice when they come up and say, okay, I see you and I'm going to ask you to go away. <laughs> we talk about this metaphorical bus and who's driving and very often they're grasping the wheel or at least on the bus and we don't even want them on the bus. We want the characters who are part of us who we really adore and like and admire who all serve their different purposes to be the quote unquote drivers instead. I loved doing that with you and I can remember, I can't remember all of their names, but they're the main one that came up. I think like I called her like bitchy Brittany, maybe <laughs> And apologies. If anyone is listening to this, whose name is Brittany, it was just the alliteration that stuck. But I remember doing this and I loved it. And I, and I, I don't think I realized the coaching trickery in it at the time, but like in reflecting on it, I think why it was so helpful to do that is because it's so often like that bitchy voice in our head. It's like, we, like we make it mean something about ourselves to get that space from it, make it this person, this separate person gives you like just enough space to be able to look at it without feeling like the anxiety or the shame or the guilt or whatever it is that comes up when like you realize you're actually having those thoughts about yourself. Absolutely. It's such a good exercise, but yeah, bitchy Brittany, like I remember she, I can remember what she looked like. I can remember the expression on her face. I can remember, like I had a very specific person in mind. She was really bitchy. How did she hold you back? I was all of the, you're not good enough. You don't know enough. You don't have enough experience. You're gonna, like, people are gonna laugh at you. People are gonna think you're stupid. You know, all of, like, the meanest things you could ever imagine that you would never in a million years ever say to someone else, ever. If you wouldn't have identified her, I highly doubt you would be doing this podcast series right now. Right, right. <laughs> she wouldn't have let you. No, and it's, and I think what, what's important, which I'm sure you deal with too with your clients all the time, is that the voices don't necessarily go away. Mm -hmm. You just get better at not listening to them or not letting them drive the bus. You hear, you hear them and you say, thank you for your input. No, please kindly shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any last things before we get to the point where you can tell everybody where to find you? Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think is important to share a lesson or just something that we didn't get to that you want to tell the people? <laughs> yes. When I'm remembering back to, I think I was pregnant and I used to have to do this commute once a week. It was three modes of transportation to this university we partnered with. And it was the bane of my existence. I remember sitting on this train being like, I will not do this next year. Next year, I will not be in this job where I'm doing this really horrific commute. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. Similarly, I would be in my neighborhood when I was pregnant and see parents picking their kids up from school at 240 and think, how in the world are they doing that? And I was so stuck on the impossibility in both of those situations of getting out of it. And so I think it really is coming back to that future vision and what is within my power to move towards that one step at a time. It's, it's the mindset stuff. I think that's what I'm trying to say. The mindset stuff, I think, is like 80% of the equation. 
if you can move from that's impossible or yes, that can happen for other people, but not for me into why couldn't that happen for me? And how can I make it happen? It's, it's really big. It's so big. I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's really, I think because people are so focused on the impossibility, they dismiss it out of hand. Mm -hmm. They don't even give themselves the chance to try. And that's always just sad. (laughs) It's just giving yourself the chance to try. I, I love that. And I think that's a perfect place to end. Um, but please tell everyone listening where they can learn more about you, where they can find you, how they can contact you. Sure. So I think the best place is probably to go to my website or Instagram. So my website is AnnieNogCoaching.com. And then my Instagram yes. is that two N's in Annie, two G's yeah. in Nog. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and then the Instagram handle is Annie Nog Coaching. And I love posting on there. It's a fun, creative outlet. It is fun. Instagram's fun. Okay. Awesome. Well, we will also, I will link that too um, in the notes, but Annie, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I knew some of that story, but I didn't know all of it. So I'm, I'm glad that we got um, to learn more about it. And and as always plug coaching. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to save the world. Yeah. And I say that from someone who's uh, of course on the giving end for my job, but I say that more so from someone who's been on the receiving end. Absolutely. It's really nice to talk to an unbiased person about your life. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Hey, if you want to create a long-term fulfilling work-life balance that works for you and your family, then send me a message to learn about my personalized coaching program. I work with moms to take them from overwhelmed to decisive, directionless to purposeful, because being a working mom isn't a reason you should settle for less. I actually believe it's an invitation to raise the bar for what's possible so you can have the type of life and career that you would want for your children one day. So check the link in the show notes to find out more and send me a message to find out how my one-on-one coaching program can work for you.